Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Abrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I thank you for this Shabbat. For this time that you've given us to come together as Mishpachah's family, to worship before you, to receive from you, and to meet with you. Father, I pray that as we open your word today, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it will be your word spoken, your heart uh, felt, that nothing of me will be involved except that which you have uh, ordained specifically for this purpose. Father, allow us to leave this place changed, transformed for the purposes of your kingdom prepared to uh, bring the light of Messiah to everyone we come into contact with. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen. So this week we are in Parsha Kitavo, which comes from uh, Deuteronomy 26.1 through 29.8. Uh, we are really rounding out Devarim, uh, the book of Deuteronomy, rather rapidly. Uh, we've only got, I think it's three more parshot that are read in synagogue, if I remember correctly, uh, as we prepare for the High Holy Days and ultimately Simchat Torah, where we will roll the Torah scroll from the end of uh, Deuteronomy all the way back to the beginning of Genesis, all the way back to Bereshit, um, and start the cycle all over again. And the beauty of this, and, and I truly believe this, I believe this is why uh, the cycle is established by God's providence to ends with the blessings and curses that we read about in this week's Parsha and next week's Parsha, uh, and then that transition of leadership, the following from uh, jo- Moses to Joshua as Israel prepares to go in the Promised Land. I believe it's because we serve a God who has given us a word that is alive, that is living, that every time we open the word of God that we will see something new. Not that there's something new there, but where we are at the time that we open his word, the season we find ourselves in, the Lord has something to speak to us about that season in his word, which is why it is so common that when you open the word of God, you go, oh, I've read this a thousand times. I've never seen this before because the Lord is revealing something powerful and mighty to us and so as we look at this week's Parsha, keep in mind that we are rounding out Deuteronomy. We are rounding out this year's Torah cycle. We are preparing our hearts for the season of repentance that uh, we focus on from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, the 10 days of awe, uh, and everything that goes along with that. So if you have your scriptures, go ahead and open up to Deuteronomy chapter 26, beginning with verse 16. If you do not have your scriptures with you, I'm not really sure what you thought we were going to do today. This is kind of a big part of it. Uh, so if you don't have your Bibles, pull out your phones. I'm sure you got an app on there. Uh, if not, you got the internet. So Bible.com. There you go. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 26, beginning with verse 16. So this is obviously just a little ways into our Parsha this week. Uh, verse 16 says, Then, uh, sorry, this day Adonai your God is commanding you to do these statutes and ordinances. So you are to take care and do them with all your heart and with all your soul. Today you have affirmed Adonai as your God that you will walk in his ways, keep his statutes, mitzvot, and ordinances, and listen to his voice. Now today, Adonai has affirmed you as his treasured people, as he promised you that you are to keep all his mitzvot, that he will set you high above all the nations he has made for praise, fame, and honor, and that you are to be a holy people to Adonai your God as he has promised. So we immediately jump right in and see uh, this beautiful reminder of the covenant relationship that Israel has with the God of all creation. 
with the God of our forefathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that it always begins with this idea of covenant. And so what we see here is the Lord says, I have chosen you today. And he's not talking literally the day that these words are being spoken to them because this is the second generation of Israel standing at the shores of the Jordan prepared to go do the very thing that their forefathers, the generation before them, were too scared to do, which was to take the promises of God uh, and to live in them. And so he's speaking to the second generation and he's reiterating the same promise that the Lord made to Israel at Mount Sinai. In Exodus 19 and 20, which is that I am taking you to be my people. I will be your God uh, and uh, and and that we have made that same decision. So he says today, uh, verse 17, today you have affirmed Adonai as your God. You have chosen, you have selected the God of your forefathers as your God. That you will walk in his ways. Now today, verse 18, Adonai has affirmed you as his treasured people as he promised you. It's really interesting when we look at this that the point in time that we find Israel at and the point in time in which God selects them as his people or, or rather makes a covenant relationship with them, solidifying them as his people, is a point in time where Israel has not yet crossed into the land that will be their nation. So Israel is, in essence, the only nation that we know of historically who was made a nation before they ever had a land to call their homeland. So the Lord's promises to Israel, his covenant with Israel is not based on whether or not they're in the land. It's solely based on who he is. Now the land has its prophetic purpose and reasoning and there's a reason we're back in Israel today as a Jewish homeland. But the reality is is his covenant isn't about the land. The land is a sign of the promise fulfilled. His covenant is about him and who he is and who we are to be in him and our relationship with his word. And so he says today, speaking before they ever enter into the promised land, you have chosen me as your God and I have chosen you as my people. Verse 9 of chapter 27 continues on. Then Moses and the Levitical Kohanim spoke to all Israel saying be silent and listen O Israel this day you have become a people for Adonai your God again reiterating this promise made at Exodus 19 and 20 at Sinai to the second generation who's preparing to uh, actually inherit the promises of God uh, therefore listen to the voice of Adonai your God and do all of his mitzvot and statutes that I am commanding you today. Verse 11, Moses commanded the people on that day saying, when you have crossed over the Jordan, these are to stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. Simeon, Levid, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. For the curse, these are to stand on Mount Ebal, Reuben, God, Asher, Zebulon, Dan, and Naphtali. Notice we've got these two mountains as they cross into the land. They're going to come to these two mountains. Half of the tribe stand on one mountain. Half of the tribe stand on the other. Mount Gerizim is where the blessings are proclaimed. Mount Ebal is where the curses are proclaimed. And still today in Israel, Mount Gerizim, you can go stand on it today. It is a very real place. Mount Gerizim is called Habracha in Hebrew today, and, uh, which is the Mount of Blessings, the Mountain of Blessings. Uh, so still today, we revere this reminder of the blessings that are attached to our honoring, our covenantal relationship with the Lord. And here we see this reminder for Israel and the reminder that is being established eternally before them. Chapter 28, verse 1. And this is, uh, uh, well, immediately after the command to go to Mount Tabal and Mount Gerizim, we see the, notice the blessings and curses. We call them the blessings and curses as though the blessings come first, right? But if you pay attention, which ones are actually iterated first to Israel? The curses. 
right? So right after the, the, the command to stand on each mountain and to, to, to uh, uh, proclaim the blessings and curses, verse 14, is that the Levites are to call out while these are standing on either mountain. The Levites are to call out the curses. And notice that as they call out the curse, they will proclaim a single curse, and Israel will say, Amen. They will proclaim a single curse and Israel will say amen and they do this over and over and over again and the reason why is because we are affirming our understanding that it's kind of like when you update your phone there's that little acknowledgement that comes up and it's got all the legalese it's like 73 and a half pages long and you're supposed to read it all but most people just kind of scroll through it as quick as they can until the accept box pops up and you can click it this is God saying hey this is your acknowledgement of what's happening here, what, what you're supposed to be signing on for. This is your contract, and this is that, li- that, that, that tiny print. And so the curses are spoken. Uh, and then we go to verse, uh, chapter 28, verse 1. It says, now if you listen obediently to the voice of Adonai your God, take care to do all of his mitzvot that I am commanding you today. Adonai your God will set you on high above all the nations of the earth. Then all the blessings will come upon you and overtake you. If you listen to the voice of Adonai, your God, notice he says, then all of these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. The blessings of the Lord, when we are walking in faithfulness with the Lord, when we are walking in relationship, in covenant relationship with the Lord, his blessings are not just something that we experience. It's not just something that we see off in the distance. It's not just something that we can name it and claim it. It is literally something that consumes us, that overtakes us, that overcomes us. The rabbis say that when we walk in his uh, in covenant relation, when we're honoring the mitzvot, it doesn't matter where we go. It doesn't matter where we find ourselves in the world. If we are honoring our relationship in the mitzvot, the commandments of Adonai, then his blessings will find us wherever we are. They will chase us down and there is no distance we can run to to get away from his blessings. I want you to understand that. When we are in covenant relationship with the Lord, there is no distance we can go to get away from his blessings. And very much in the same way, if we go to verse 15, but if you will not listen to the voice of Adonai your God, to take care to do all of his mitzvot and statutes that I am commanding you today, all of these curses will come on you and overtake you. And if you pay attention to the curses, they are just the opposite of the blessings. So he says, if you live in relationship with me, if you honor me, uh, verse uh, three, but blessed will, be, uh, will you be in the city and blessed will you be in the curse. Verse 16, cursed will you be in the city and cursed will you be in the field. So in other words, if we honor his, uh, our relationship, we honor his mitzvot, we will experience his blessing. But the contrary is if we are not walking in relationship with him or not over- upholding the, the covenant relationship we have with him, we won't experience a literal curse. It's not like he's going to uh, wave a magic wand at us and say some fancy words and all of a sudden we're gonna you know deteriorate or turn into a pillar of salt again or something like that but instead we're just going to experience the removal of his blessing or rather not even a removal we will experience a separation from his blessing and i've talked about this before here but i honestly believe that the only reason we perceive the curses as a separation or a removal of his blessing isn't because he actually removes it But instead, it's because we are so far outside of his will that we can't actually see that his blessing, his hand of blessing is still upon us. For instance, we talked about tithing earlier. When we are tithing faithfully, miraculously, things are getting paid. When we are not tithing faithfully, miraculously, things are still kind of getting paid. We feel a little uncomfortable about it. The bank account's getting really low and we're getting really stressed out and upset. But we still have a roof and we still have food and we still got a bed to sleep in. We still got shoes to wear. Somehow God is still providing, but we're focused outside of his will. We're focused on what's not happening. 
whereas inside of his will we're focusing on what he is doing. So if you notice, the root of all sin, I believe, in, in essence, is pride. So when we're in his will, we're focused on him. When we're outside of his will, we're focused on us. What we don't see, what we want, what we can't have. And the Lord says, if you will obey my word, if you will honor my mitzvot, if you will live in relationship with me, I will place these blessings upon you. They will overtake you. They will consume you. And if not, the opposite will consume you. Deuteronomy 28, verse 45, all these curses will come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not listen to the voice of Adonai your God to keep his mitzvot and statutes that he commanded you. Going forward to verse uh, 69, and this is where it gets really, really interesting. The very next thing we read after this is in next week's Parsha. And in next week's Parsha, I'll talk more about it next week, but in next week's Parsha, he very specifically says, when the time comes that both the blessings and the curses have come upon you. So notice, long before we ever actually go into the promised land, long before we ever have an opportunity to recognize his blessings and curses, long before we ever actually have to walk out this covenant relationship with him, the Lord is already telling us that there will be a season where we will. There will be a season where we won't. And in that season that we will, we will understand and recognize his blessings. In that season that we aren't, we won't. In that season that we aren't in his will, where we don't understand his blessings and, 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 uh, and, and covenant with us, his relationship with us, that's the season that we're going to start going, where did things go wrong? Where did I mess up at? And he says, in this season is when we will come back around again. He says, when the blessings and curses have come upon you, then you will turn back to me. Verse 69 of chapter 28 says, These are the words of the covenant that I only commanded Moses to make with B'nai Israel, with the children of Israel, in the land of Moab, in addition to the covenant he made with them at Horeb. Moses called, verse 1 of 29, Moses called to all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that Adonai did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and all of his servants and all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw those great signs and wonders. Notice, we physically witnessed what God was doing for us. But to this day, Adonai has not given you a heart to know or eyes to see or ears to hear. I led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you and your sandals have not worn out on your feet. Again, reminding us of the miracles that we have seen, that we have physically witnessed of God's hand. I don't know about you guys, I can't make it through a year without wearing a pair of shoes down. I ride a motorcycle. Most of the time, I can't make it through a year without burning a tire up. I have a car. I can't make it 5,000 miles before I've ruined the oil and have to change the oil. They wandered for 40 consecutive years in the wilderness on the same pair of sandals. I have sandals at home that I've walked in so much in a short period of time that there's no rubber left on the bottom. They wandered for 40 years in the same pair of sandals. And then we wonder how it is that they can cry out, but everything was so much better in Egypt. At least in Egypt we had food. They woke up every single day in the wilderness to Manhu, to manna, waiting for them. And they still cried out, it would have been better in Egypt. 
I led you for 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out and your sandals have not worn out on your feet. Bread you have not eaten and wine and strong drink you have not drunk in order that you may know that I am Adonai, your God. He tells them, you've already been experiencing these blessings. They have already overcome and overtaken you. They are already upon you, yet you don't have eyes to see. You don't have ears to hear. You don't have a heart to know. Think about that. I talked about how when we are walking in his blessings, it's because we are walking in covenantal relationship with him. And we can see, the perspective is we can see what he's doing. We can see his hand in our life, but we're outside of his will. We're outside of his will. We're outside of that covenantal relationship. Our perspective shifts. And although his hand of blessing is still over us, we are not able to see the provision he's giving us and what he's doing. Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Their fathers and mothers, the generation before this second generation preparing to take the promises, wandered in the wilderness and they witnessed God providing food for them miraculously. They witnessed the very literal presence of God descend upon the mountain and quake the ground that they stood on and they heard his voice come forth from the fire of his presence. They saw his presence descend upon the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies uh, in the tabernacle. They saw his presence ascend off of the Holy of Holies to lead them in the wilderness. They witnessed this Shekinah, the divine glory of God before their eyes day in and day out, and yet they still didn't have a heart to know, eyes to see, or ears to hear. They still were not there yet to recognize what God has done for them, but this second generation has a shot to change that. The second generation is getting ready to go into the blessings and promises of Adonai, into the promised land, and almost immediately after going into the promised land, they jack it all up. They mess everything up again. Anybody feel like that on a day-to-day basis? Isaiah 6, beginning of verse 9. Isaiah, Isaiah and Jeremiah are, are two of my favorite books to read because uh, they make me realize my life really isn't that bad sometimes because both of these dudes had a rough go. First off, Jeremiah was born to be a priest and was called out to be hated, right? Kind of sounds like us. Yeshua says, they don't hate you because of you. They hate you because I am in you. Isaiah was called out to be a prophet who would speak destruction to the nation of Israel, who would speak a, 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 a call to understand that what is about to happen is because we refuse to walk in covenant relationship with him, that what we are about to experience is the very curses that Deuteronomy talks about. The very curses that we read in this week's Parsha. We are about to experience this reality upon ourselves, but yet over and over and over again in this message of destruction and this narrative of, hor- uh, of horrification, we see this beautiful message of, but all you gotta do is turn back. All you gotta do is come back to me. If you just come back to me, forget it. It'll all be finished. Isaiah 6 verse 9 says, and this is when he's being called, and if you remember, this is that whole, uh, I'm unholy, why am I hearing you, why am I experiencing you? Um, Verse 9 says, then he says, speaking of God, speaking to Isaiah, go tell this people, hear without understanding, see without perceiving. This is actually the reality of the message that Isaiah is bringing to Israel. He is going to prophesy to them exactly what the Lord has already said is going to happen and tell them that it is about to happen. But he's going to do it to a people who, just as we read in the Torah, do not have a heart to know, eyes to see, 
or ears to hear. Go tell this people, hear without understanding and see without perceiving. Make the heart of this people fat, their ears heavy and their eyes blind, else they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. The Lord says the reason why Israel is not experiencing all of the blessings and promises that he promised that, that Adonai promised to them is because we have not turned back to him. We have not returned in repentance, and because of that, we still are hard-headed and stiff-necked, and we don't have a heart to know, ears to hear, or eyes to see the glory of God. And yet Israel's single purpose for being called out by the Lord is to bring the glory of God to the nations. But how are we to bring something that we don't have the heart to know, eyes to see, and ears to hear to a people that we don't want to interact with in the first place? How are we to follow the call of God, the command of Adonai for our lives, if we aren't willing to allow him to transform our hearts to see what he sees of the rest of his creation? How are we able and willing to do what he's called us to do if our hearts haven't been transformed enough to see his own hand in our lives. Romans 11, beginning with verse 1, we read this in our Brichadashah reading during our Torah service today. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be, says Paul speaking, for I too am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he knew beforehand, or do you not know that what the scripture says about Elijah, how he pled with, uh, pleads with God against Israel? Adonai, they have killed your prophets. They have destroyed your altars. I alone am left, and, there, and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself even uh, 7,000 men who have not bell, bowed their knee to Baal. So in the same way, all at, uh, same way also at this present time, there has come to be a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace... It is no longer by works. Otherwise, grace would, not, would no longer be grace. What then? What Israel is seeking, it is not obtained, but the elect obtained it, and the rest of the world, uh, the rest were hardened. Just as it is written, God, get, uh, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes not to see, ears not to hear, and unto, until this day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block of, and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they do not see and bend their back continually. This is speaking of the Jewish people. This is speaking of my people. Paul is saying everything that we are experiencing, we are experiencing for the same reason we experienced it every generation before him and will continue to experience it every generation after him until we recognize the truth of covenant relationship with the Lord. The truth that it requires a transformation of the heart. It is not a matter of how well we keep the Torah. It's not a matter of how well we honor the commandments. It's a matter of how we're doing that in the first place. Why we're doing that. Where it's coming from. Israel was called to live out the Torah from our heart first. Jeremiah 31 talks about the new covenant that will be written upon our hearts. Where the Torah won't be just something we open up and we read, but instead something that is written upon the flesh of our hearts. Yeshua is that word made flesh who now tabernacles amongst us. He resides within us. That word is very literally a part of who we are now. And just as Israel rejected it over and over and over again in our history, 
The body of Messiah has rejected the reality of the truth of the covenant of Israel being written upon their heart. Part of the reason we rejected it as the body of Messiah is because in order to accept it, we have to be okay with accepting the rest of these words too. Verse 11, I say then, they did not stumble, speaking of the Jewish people, so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their false steps, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Israel was called to be a light to the nations. We were called to carry the word of the Lord to the nations in the first place. We refused to do that. We hoarded the word of the Lord. We hoarded our relationship with the Lord and kept it for ourselves. But God's promise can't be stopped. The reality of God's desire for restoration of all of his creation cannot be stopped. And he says, may it never be, but their false step, for salva- step of salvation has come to the Gentiles to provoke Israel to jealousy. So Israel was called to be a light to the nations, to carry the word of the Lord, relationship with the Lord, covenant relationship with the Lord to the nations. Israel failed to do what we were supposed to do. We failed to recognize our own Messiah. And so the Lord opened up salvation to the nations, which was always his plan. It's not like it was just something new. He didn't just suddenly go, oh, you know what? My chosen people, they just refuse to do what I want. I, I, I'm just, I think I'm done with them. I'm just going to, I'll pick somebody else. I'll go with these people over here and we'll give it to them. That wasn't at all what he did. His desire was always to bring Jew and Gentile together as one in Messiah, the promised Jewish Messiah. Now, if their transgressions lead to riches for the world and their loss, riches for Gentiles, then how much more their fullness. But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles insofar as I'm an emissary to the Gentiles. I spotlight my ministry if somehow I might provoke to jealousy my own flesh and save some of them. For if their rejection leads to reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? I wholeheartedly believe that what Paul is talking about here is the very reality that when Israel recognizes the truth of Yeshua Mashiach as the promised Jewish Messiah, that he came as Mashiach ben Yosef, the suffering servant, who died for our sins, restoring us in relationship with him, and that he will come again as Mashiach ben David, as the victorious king, who will usher in the eternal peace we have so terribly longed for, for generation after generation, millennia after millennia when we finally open our eyes to the reality of the truth of his salvation, it will be a revival that could never be stopped for the body of Messiah as a whole. Think about it. 3,000 Jewish people came to faith in Acts 2 on Shavuot, on Pentecost, that very first time the Ruach HaKodesh was poured out in mass. 3,000 people came to faith and the entire world was changed because of it. How much more when the entire Jewish world comes to faith and the promised Messiah of Israel. What will that do? How will it transform the world? This week's Haftorah Parsha from Isaiah chapter 60 verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of Adonai has risen on you. Sounds like a stark contrast of a message from what we read before from Isaiah, right? The same Isaiah speaking these words, for behold, darkness covers the earth, the deep darkness the peoples, but Adonai will rise upon you and his glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light, kings to the brilliance of your rising. Lift up your eyes and look all around. They all gather. They come to you. Your sons will come from afar. Your daughters carried on the hip. Then you will see and be radiant 
and your hearts will throb and swell with joy for the abundance of the sea will be turned over to you. The wealth of nations will come to you. It is at this point that our hearts will know, our eyes will see, and our ears will hear. Verse 15, instead of deserted and hated, no one passing through, I will make you an eternal pride, joy from generation to generation. You will also suck the milk of nations and nurse at the breast of kings. Then you will know that I, Adonai, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. And skipping forward to verse 21, then your people will all be righteous. They will possess the land forever the branch of his planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. The smallest will become a thousand and the least a mighty nation. I out and I will hasten it in its time. Yeshua says over and over and over again, speaking of first century, the first century Jewish world, you don't have eyes to hear, uh, eyes to see or ears to hear. As he begins to tell his parables or wraps, wraps up his parables generally, he says, those that have ears to hear, let them hear. And the reality is we cannot truly honor a covenant relationship with the Lord until first we are bought by the blood of the Lamb that redeems that covenant for us, that brings us back into alignment with His will and His ways. We can honor the Word of God day in and day out on the outside, but it's going to get us nowhere if His Word does not reside on the inside. And it's not until his presence is in our hearts that we will be able to see, have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that knows. Jeremiah 31 goes on to say how, after the discussion of the new covenant written upon our hearts, goes on to say in that day, no one will have to teach his brother the word of God because we will all know it. I believe that day is coming. The day is coming where we will all have hearts to know, eyes to see, ears to hear. Until that point, you and I as followers of Messiah have a divine calling, a divine ordinance to go forward into the world with the light of Messiah so that the transformation that he has done in our lives will call forth a yearning for transformation in others' lives. As a Jewish person, it is my obligation to reach the nations. My calling hasn't changed. And as such, the nations coming into the body of Messiah, it is your calling to drive the Jew to jealousy for his own God. Our callings haven't changed. The only thing that has changed is now we have the ability to do so. Because through Messiah, we have hearts that know, eyes that see, ears that hear. And we are able to grasp the miraculous reality of God's hand in our life today. We are able to recognize that although our shoes may wear out, we have a roof over our head. Although the world around us may become more complicated and already is becoming more complicated, we know there's something simplistically beautiful about gathering together as a chad, as one, as one people in worship of the King of Kings. We may look at the world around us and see that there is great persecution happening against the body of Messiah, but we have the eyes that see, the ears that hear, and the heart that knows that it's not because 
of who we are, but it's because of who they hate that is in us. And we can continue to walk faithfully no matter what. With the heart of Daniel, he stood before the king no matter what, refusing to bow. Refusing to serve any other God. Refusing to worship anybody but the God of all creation. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of his forefathers. We have the ability to stand like Stephen who in the face of a death squad who was ready to stone him on the spot preached the gospel no matter what. We have the ability to hear the Lord over and over and over again every time we fall short of the glory of God. Cry out the same words that he spoke to Peter after his resurrection when Peter was so beaten down over denying Yeshua three times. And the Lord simply said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? See, the difference between Peter and Judas wasn't in the action itself. It was in the fact that Peter had a heart to know, eyes to see, and ears to hear. And Judas didn't. If Judas had simply waited around a little bit longer... I have no doubt in my mind that the same message of redemption and restoration was available to him that was to Peter. And I have to believe that because there's nothing in my life that's any better than anything either of them did. There's nothing better in my life than anything that Paul did. Paul was there. He approved of Stephen's death. He cried out for it in essence. And yet the Lord redeemed him restored him, renewed him, placed his new covenant inside of his heart and gave him a heart to know, eyes to see, ears to hear so that the nations would come to know the salvation that is available to all so that his own brothers and sisters, the Jewish people, would be driven to jealousy for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that is the very reality of what a messianic Jewish synagogue is, is Jew and Gentile coming together one in Messiah, following the calling that we have to see the world come to know salvation. And it is through that that the world will see the might and the power and the glory of God. And I truly wholeheartedly believe that it is through the Messianic movement that the entire body of Messiah will be blessed by revival because we are that very reality of that prophecy beginning to be fulfilled of the Jewish people coming to salvation and bringing life to the, from the dead for the body of Messiah. But it requires you and I, Jew and Gentile alike, one in Messiah, to allow the Lord to transform our hearts to know, to transform our eyes to see, transform our ears to hear, so that we can recognize his blessings and we can also recognize when we mess up and are walking in the curses to realign our hearts back with his blessing to realign our hearts back with his covenant. Avarachimim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I thank you that your word rings true over and over and over again, that each and every day we have the ability to open your word and to receive the breath of your life into us in a mighty and powerful way. Father, I thank you that uh, you have given us this beautiful reality of your Torah cycle that by your providence was established to reunify Israel, the Jewish people, with your word in preparation for what would happen five year, 500 years later when Mashiach Yeshua would come, the word made flesh to tabernacle amongst us so that we have the ability to see the truth of who he is. 
Father, I thank you that you have provided a means for atonement and salvation to restore us to your righteousness in spite of how often we reject you, how often we have harmed our relationship with you, how often we have allowed our own uh, uh, failings and shortcomings to damage other people's lives. That, Father, you desire nothing more than to restore us no matter what so that through us you can restore other people's lives. So that through us, the truth of your salvation will be known the world over and all creation can be saved. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua our Messiah we pray and everyone says, Amen and Amen.